Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of They Think Kit's All Over, which is the same amount of episodes as Callum Wilson has Premier League goals, and only five episodes more than the number of people his employers executed on the 12th of March last year. So I am Tom, aka at Shirt Fan, and who is joining me this week? It's Mike at Footy Shirts. Believe it or not, at Flying Scotty, I do. I am still alive. And Adam at this one kit. So first things first, Scott, where you been? I've been uh, unfortunately unreachable, which is unbelievable in this day and age. But yes, I've had some a very busy time at work and have all and been out of. Um, Wi-Fi possibility. So I've yeah, been absent for a little while now. But how convenient with United doing so well. Yeah, you can imagine my um, current moods whenever the topic of football gets brought up. But football shirt-wise, you've been bringing anything in recently? Yeah, so I made a few purchases as we discussed before. My my um, intake has definitely lowered due to current prices, but there was a few sales on. Got the France away that pottery style away shirt on the way i managed to embarrassingly buy a man united home long sleeved authentic because it was cheap enough i won't be wearing it in public though and i finally got a hold of the brazil home shirt from the world cup i was again reluctant to pay full price but i found an authentic on uh ebay for a very good price so i was pleased with that adam mike any shirt purchases for you this week oh i did actually yeah i Finally bought one of the Villa Castoy shirts, which actually arrived today. Um, and a shit. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's not very. It's genuinely not very nice. The shirt looks okay. It's the blue away one from last season. Apart from smelling like someone's slept in it for a week, um, typical Depop purchase. Um, it's just. It's just not a great shirt. The, the, I know a lot of people try and defend Castoy, and we've even tried to do it a little bit ourselves and say they get a bit of a rough deal, but. It's crap. It, it it's I paid ten quid for it, and that was about as much as I'd be happy paying for this shirt. If I'm honest with you, it's the material's not very nice. It's really thick. It's really heavy. Uh, the badge isn't too bad. The embroidery is okay, but the the fit of it, in my opinion, isn't particularly good. It's it's quite baggy in the body, yet quite tight on the the slit. You know what? It's just not a nice shirt. And and it just backs up what we've said, that Castori don't do a very good job of making their shirts. Everything on the right way around, though. It is. When it it first turned up, it turned up today. And again, typical Depop purchase. It basically came, uh, I think what they've done is rolled it up one way, screwed it up into a ball, stuck it in a plastic bag and wrapped a whole roll of sellotape around it. And then just threw it onto a Royal Mail van and hoped it made it to me. <laughs> um, somehow it did. Um, so my wife messaged me saying, this is giving me fucking anxiety. Can I please open this? Because this is just wrong. Um, and she took it out of the bag, hung it up, sent me a photo. And I immediately thought, that fucking badge is wonky. <laughs> and then when I got home, I just moved it around a little bit on the hanger. And I think it might be slightly out of line. But that it's barely noticeable. The all the logos and stuff that are supposed to be there are there. Just overall, the quality of it just isn't very good compared to a a, a stadium of a, a an Adidas or a Nike or even especially when you start looking at things like Macron. 
It's just it's just not as good. Simple as that. And Adam, have you added to your wonderful Liverpool purchase last week? Um, oddly enough, I have, but I don't want to say anything yet because it's not arrived yet. And it was meant to arrive today, but I bought a lovely shirt that I'm very excited to receive. But the seller sent it via every. <clears throat> so it's meant to be here today. Um, it's still out for delivery, apparently. It's meant to be delivered between uh, half three and half five to my work, which is now shut. So, yeah, so I don't want to tempt fate because it is a genuinely brilliant shirt that I've been after for a long, long time. And I got it for a fairly good price. But I don't want to say it in case that it's been lost to the every ether and will just not turn up and will break my heart. But all I will say about it is that it's a rainbow one that's very sought after. And I hope they haven't lost it. That's the scariest story I've heard this Halloween season. It's a anyway. proper Halloween one, honestly. Like as soon as I didn't realise they were sending it via every I, I know every delivery service can have its issues, but every in particular um are maybe known for parcels not appearing where they're meant to be. And so yeah, I'm genuinely actually quite scared for it. Let's move on to the news. And we'll start with you, Scott, because I think this has been the most interesting news story of the week. Not only is it interesting, but I find the timing interesting as well. It seems like a huge um, a huge distraction technique, if you ask me. But yeah, so it's transpired that the Manchester United players are complaining about the size of their kits. So as we know, players all wear authentic kits when provided by Adidas if you're an elite team. And a lot of the players are complaining that they're too tight or too small. Uh, the, I think the most interesting one was Onana has actually been wearing a replica version because, and, and I saw some story that they were potentially blaming the hair because the hair was so skinny that the shirts that arrived were more for his fit. I, I, I don't know how a, a company that produces shirts for lots of different size people would make a goalkeeper kit for De Gea and then give it to Onana. But surely that that is the case. He's he's having to wear the aero-ready as opposed to the heat-ready versions of the kits. And the socks, so the home socks that I think are, you know, as far as socks go, they were the very cool spiderweb style uh, silver um, lines on the socks haven't been worn since the first game that they wore them because all the players are complaining that they're too tight. So maybe that's why Man United are fucking shit because their shirts are too small. I agree with you. I think this is a a very convenient story at a time where perhaps Man United want the press to be looking off the pitch. Inst- you know, instead, I think it's a good diversion tactic, but. It's not the first time United have had this, have they? Because didn't Ferguson ban a kit after some complaints from the players? In was it '94, Scott, with that grey kit? Yeah, so it was South. They played Southampton in the the which has now been dubbed the Invisible Kit because they were, I believe, they were three 0 down at half time, and they came out for the second half wearing the third shirt, which was the blue and white striped shirt, because the players claimed that they couldn't see each other. They still lost the game 6-3, I believe. But See, I'm sure I read somewhere that that was made up, as in by Fergie himself, and he just didn't like that kit. Because one of the things someone said, I can't remember who said it, but they wouldn't have brought the third kit if they knew, unless they knew it was going to be worn. 
but they brought the third kit along as well to change into it, like all of it. So I, I don't know how true that, but I'm sure that I read somewhere that the players were like, no, it was just Ferguson's idea that he didn't like that kit. He felt that they didn't play well in it. So he wanted to make a show of it. Gary Neville gave an interview last year where he said that at Man United, they had an eye coach and it was part of Ferguson and his coaching staff's philosophy that the players had to train every everything, you know, and some of that was their ability to to focus and to, their vision, essentially, so they could make the right choices on the pitch. And apparently the eye coach had said before the game that this grey kit was not good because it made you indistinguishable from the crowd. But then why did they wear it at all? I don't know. It's one of those great like kit myths, this, I think. Like, we'll never probably know the, the real answer. I think I've heard exactly the same story. Is that something to do with an eye coach? But the, just going back to the a situation with Onana and his shirt. Um, I'm not a kit man, so maybe I'm out of my depth here, but if his is too small, maybe get him the next size up. I mean, surely it's that easy. If they can go and get him a stadium that fits him, surely they can get him an authentic that's one size bigger. I mean, it can't be that fucking hard, can it? I was just kind of going to touch on the same thing, um, Mike. Aside from the fact that Man United are fucking bollocks, and this is clearly a diversion from the fact that the front fucking five haven't scored a fucking goal in 20 games. It's, oh, it's my fucking T-shirts. Rashford's shirt must be six sizes too fucking small because I don't know what that kind <laughs> of But in terms of publicity, surely this is shocking for Adidas because what what is driving... You would think that take away the... the the Man United store shirts, so the, the replicas and the authentics that they sell to the public, because they're they're a different entity. You'd think that a company of that size, especially for one of their, you know, we're not talking about a third division club here. I mean, they play like one, but they aren't one. But, you know, it's one of their elite teams, and they've got an entire club complaining that the, you know, I know Castori are, are, have bad press because of the material, but Surely this is a huge fuck up that an entire team of that size are going, yeah, these T-shirts aren't correct when it's literally their only job outside of the design to make them is to make the shirts suitable for the for the players that wear them. Yeah, summed up perfectly. Adidas are going to make Anana his own custom kit, which should be available to him by December. Is that code for they're going to make a shirt that fucking fits him? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he's in between sizes, Scott. It's a real problem for some of us. He's a, a schmeedy. <laughs> Any other news this week, gents? Yeah, going on from shirts that don't fit properly. Um, the Premier League have actually handed out um an award to it. The the award went to the Greater Manchester Police, and this is for cracking down on fake football shirts. Um, I'm guessing it probably covered a few other counterfeit items as well. Basically, they have seized over a thousand tons of counterfeit items, including 30,000 football shirts that were all destined for the streets of Manchester and further afield. Um, I think that's great, isn't it? I mean, we're all very anti-fake here. Um, We've discussed the reasons why people might buy them in the past, which obviously we don't want to go into again because it would be a real fucking day. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's a good thing. I think there's it, it's, it's rife at the minute. Every fucking site you go on is selling shit quality, quite frankly, dangerous football shirts, especially for kids, um, for absolute pennies. And unless we 
this happens more, it's it's not it's not going to stop. So fair play to the Premier League for recognising it as well. They obviously didn't seize the rocks, fucking Man United fake, did they? <laughs> yeah, great great work from the Greater Manchester Police there, and it's great to see they're maintaining that record of all the awards going to the blue part of Manchester. Um, Adam. Any updates from you this week? Yeah, so a group called Lab Phantasma, they are on Twitter, who are apparently an entertainment hub whose mission is to transform places through music and love. I don't know what that means, but they've been working with Adidas (laughs) Brazil to create three special shirts to commemorate Black Consciousness Month. So Atletico Mineiro, Cruzeiro and Internacional all have shirts and... They're really nice, actually. They follow exactly the same design. They're all white, and they all have kind of like a grey pattern inside them. But then each one has its own colour on the Adidas stripes, the collar and the cuffs. So you've got the Monero one is black. The Internacional one has a kind of an orangey-red colour. And then the Cruzeiro one is blue. And they just look really smart. I think that they're really nice shirts. Um, Yeah. I don't know what you guys think, but I think that they're possibly one of those kind of collections that I think people will want to get all three of them because they do kind of fit as a cohesive unit. So, yeah, good work, I say. Yeah, I think they look great together. And I love the the badges on these. I think the badges are are really smart. They're kind of like stripped back efforts from, I think, the usual club badges, but very, very, very nice. Um, Scott, Mike, have you seen these? Yeah, I think they look good. Uh, I really, really like them, to be honest with you. I like the... The patch that they've got on the chest in the middle of, between the logo and the badge as well, just carrying that across all three shirts. The fact that um, they all kind of tie in as a set is just really, really smart. Um, so, yeah, no, I think they're really, really good. I agree with Adam. I think that people who do pick them up will possibly want to get them as a set of three. I know I would if I was going to go after them. But, yeah, they they look really good. The one with the um, the black trim is my favourite. Is that the Athletic Monero one? Uh, just because yeah. I think that the the black and the orange colour just goes through the shirt really, really well. Yeah, fully agree. I think they're great. The only thing I haven't seen so far is where they're going to be available to buy and if there'll be limited numbers or not. I think that maybe it's just because the design's just been announced and they're not for sale yet, but I would definitely be keen on picking one up. Excellent stuff, guys. And I think that was a, a pretty good week of, of news as well. It seems mostly positive stuff from us for a change. So time for this week's feature. Uh, Mike, you were the man in the know. Who is it this week? Well, even though you tried to upset the entire fucking fan base, we actually managed to pin down Tim from the Fearless and Devotion podcast, uh, which is one of Wrexham's biggest podcasts. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. This week, we are well and truly jumping on the bandwagon. And we have with us Tim from Fearless in Devotion. How are you, Tim? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk Wrexham, to be honest with you. You're the talk of the town pretty much within football, aren't you? Well, yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's weird now. Everywhere we look, people talking about it or it's on the news or it's you can't really go two clicks on google without stumbling across it so yeah but good times it's nice that people know we finally are as opposed to trying to tell them on a map where we might be from you've got to explain where where wales is from on top of that let alone where Wrexham is so it's yeah it's um it's a weird thing but it's it's something that you've got to embrace really yeah definitely i can imagine so before we before we fully talk about Wrexham, uh the club itself do you want to just tell people who you are and what you do 
Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of founded a, uh, a fanzine stroke webzine called Fearless and Devotion, which is a, a line in a song called Wrexham is the Name, which comes from an older song, sort of Men of Harlick thing. Um, and I just sat there one day, I thought, let's do a, a new fanzine type thing. So started that up and then over the course of time, it grew legs. And obviously around the sort of Hollywood takeover, we decided then that if we don't do a podcast, then you can bet your ass somebody else will come along and do it. Maybe people who might not have been around or dying the wool as some of us older heads are, which is not a bad thing. I just thought, you know, spoke to a few friends and we pushed on with it. So we do, do the podcast, we do a, a hard copy uh, fanzine as well, which is the first um, full colour one the, for the club you know, in terms of anybody's ever produced before. It's usually the sort of old school spit and sawdust black and white ones, which are great. We just kind of try to modernise that and bring a kind of sort of high end magazine feel to it. So, so yeah, podcast, fanzine, spaces, host across all the platforms, trying to do all the the, the social media stuff. Um, but ultimately, just um, trying to provide a, a fan's voice for all things to do with uh, with the football club. Really, it's good. It's good. And obviously, you touched on being a fan pre Hollywood takeover. So obviously, you guys are. Kind of in before all this uh, glamour around the club, you you guys had a tough few years, really, didn't you? Yeah, it's pretty bleak. I mean, you know, football was weird then anyway, with with COVID and everything else, and you know, played in front of empty stadiums with you know fans not allowed in, and yeah, that that season when COVID curtailed it, we were really struggling in the in the national league, a very poor team. Um, yeah, it wasn't really clicking. I mean, it, the, the, the consensus would suggest we would have stayed up. But you just never know, and we never will now. But to go from that to where we are now is different worlds, completely different worlds. But, yeah, you know, 15 years in, in the National League um, tells its own story. A lot of near misses, a lot of sob stories, and a lot of times we just simply weren't good enough. And that's why Wrexham were the, the longest-serving side in that division up until this season. And it's mad, really, because I think people have, uh, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old now. I know Adam that's with us now. He's 40 as well. I'm not oh, adding I years am. on. Thank now, you. Yeah. Yeah, Thank I you am. for <laughs> saying that. I am 40. Thank you. I was just I... making sure I wasn't adding years on. I think people <laughs> of our age will remember that Wrexham, you know, that there, there, there once was a sort of like a, a bigger feel to the club. They weren't always, you know, sat in the National League. At one point, they were the Giant Killers of the FA Cup. They, they had, they've got a bit of history that I think a lot of people today will just think they've always just been sat in that one place. So it's nice to see them through whatever means to be coming back into the forefront of football again. So that obviously there, we we need to move on and talk about neuroship because if we're honest, that's probably what most people who are going to listen to this podcast are going to want to hear about, aren't they? So how did it feel when all of that began? Because I mean, for us, it was surreal, but as a fan of the club, I mean, yeah, just explain it how you possibly can. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just it was odd. There's There's a big idea at the time that it might've been, Russell uh, Russell Crowe, Hollywood actor, gladiator star, because his great grandfather is from Wrexham. Um, so that was <laughs> a sort of slightly tenuous link when people said it was like a, a Hollywood A lister. And when the names came out, unless you're like a, a it's always Sunny fan, there was a lot of Rob, Rob McElhenney, McElhenney, how would you pronounce his name? Um, but we soon got to realize, you know, he's a pretty solid name in the US and, and parts of the globe as well but yeah the ryan reynolds thing was 
was just you kind of have to sort of take a step back and go right this is going to go one or two ways it's either going to be amazing and pan out the way it has panned out or people are going to think this is a massive piss take and it's a curveball or it's or and it wasn't I think I think without the documentary I think there would there would still be elements of people thinking these these guys are just in it for a laugh they've even said that they don't know what they're doing but I think the vehicle of having that documentary has helped them gain a lot of good grace amongst not just football fans but sports fans television fans documentary fans to, to see how they've said right we're not professing to be experts but we'll learn as we go along we'll make mistakes we'll get some things right and we'll learn from the mistakes and yeah it's just mad i mean even now i mean you know we've had them we've been lucky enough to have them on the podcast we're sit, sitting there in our houses going okay we're about to chat with rob and ryan just like it's a casual talk <laughs> on the club how does that compare with this like are we at the same kind of level or you know? i treat everybody i treat everybody with equality so it's fine so everybody's all on the same page but I won't lie i was i was a little bit more nervous with that one mm-hmm. and i do feel like i've let myself down today but not sticking a football shirt and i've just got this wild horrible <laughs> yeah it's been a wild ride and you know who knows where it's going to take us and how long it's going to go on for but you know it's um just got to ride with it and, and and see what happens but it's it's just it's just crazy it's it's great there's a lot of pressure on on the club the players and the management to get things right and they did that the second time of asking you know the season just gone and we've had an all right start to life back in the league so yeah but i mean you know ultimately as everybody can see you, you really you really do struggle to find anybody who really really wants to hate the owners that we've got because they've gone about it. There's elements of jealousy to it. Of course there is. And I think I think that comes from certain sections of fan bases as opposed to a united kind of like, you know, football worldwide sort of opinion. I think most people have seen that, you know, oh, right, okay. They're actually trying to go about it the right way. They're trying to get the right people in. They're trying to make it about the town and the people as opposed to it being about them, which they've always said they would never do anyway because they're just not that way inclined. Um, yeah, you know, we're, we're just really, really lucky that the owners we've got are, are doing everything they've they've kind of set out to do, and what they put in the mission statement, how they're going to try and grow everything. So it's just mad. It is mad, and it never really gets boring, you know. Because <laughs> I, I can't, I can't wait to get some far from corner of the earth in future and wear a Wrexham top, and I'll know, I, I know full well that that somebody's probably going to want to talk to you about it or ask. And we're in that weird position now where we'll go, oh, so you're actually from Rexon now? Or do you just support it because of the owners? I live I live like a mile and a half away from the ground, mate. Yeah, I'm pretty much stuck with it, unfortunately, as I have been for most of my life. It It, it is. It's an interesting situation. You mentioned the, the pressure that they're under, but... And then the jealousy. And I think that's the thing. The mad thing about it, I think a, a lot of the pressure comes from outside of the, the fan base. It, it seems like when you look at things online on social media, because you've got that sort of like jealousy element. And I don't think there's anything wrong with jealousy. I'm a I'm a Cheltenham boy. I'm from Cheltenham. I follow Cheltenham Town. And yeah, I'm jealous. I would love those guys to have bought Cheltenham Town. But I think there's a fine line between jealousy and bitterness. And I think there's a lot of bitterness about it as well. And I think that in turn means that a lot of the sort of like outside fan bases put a lot of pressure on Wrexham and they're expecting 
that unless you win every game and unless you get, you know, back to back promotions that that they failed at what they're doing, which obviously is nonsense. But, you know, how how, how are the Wrexham fans dealing with all that crap that they get? So like on Twitter, Twitter's the worst, isn't it? let's face it. Yeah, I mean, Twitter's a weird place. I mean, I think the bitterness stuff, I don't know where it comes from. It's really weird. I, I can understand certain parts of it because I think, <laughs> I think, you know, a Wrexham player only has to sneeze and it's usually a BBC story somewhere down the path because, you know, I used to work in journalism, whichever way you look at it, um, people are interested. People are interested in the club. It's as simple as that. People want to know what's going on and, and there is a, a greater microscope on the club now than what there's ever been before. More than I ever imagined, to be honest. You know, there's we're getting half our players going on talk sport or... You know, you know, one of the questions was on the chase the other day, and it just, it's just like it's just sort of, um, just what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's probably just punctuating popular culture where previously it hadn't been. You know, you would find Wrexham football club in places you, you never even imagined. And again, coming back to the documentary, that's been the vehicle for that. So very well, I've been great, famous, wealthy owners. But it counts for nothing if you don't get it right. And, and telling the story in the manner they told it, um, in the medium they told it, has definitely helped them. And yeah, it's just, honestly, it's it's such a such a weird thing. And I, I get why people are annoyed by the amount of headlines that the, the football club generates. But for the large part, it's probably earned. If I'm honest, I mean, you know, Wrexham got hammered first game of the season by MK Dons. Of course, it's a headline because nobody was expecting it, but. You take the rough with the smooth, and that's the way it is. But I, I get that some things are a little bit, oh, right, you know, Ryan Reynolds has, has dropped a pencil. Let's put a story about it. <laughs> I get that. I get that. And I get it why is, it's annoying. It, it, yeah, it, is, it is a bit strange. I mean, as a Cheltenham fan, I, I am a little bitter that you took Ben Toza from us uh, and left us without him because, you know, things have definitely gone on the slide for us since he left. But that aside, I, I think it's a great story. I, I mean, I've seen the, document, the documentary series. I know, Adam, you have as well, haven't you? Yeah, I. it was one of those things that, just to give you a bit of background, I will often watch stuff without my wife if I believe that she wouldn't be that interested in it and she does not care about football. As it turns out, she does care about one of your owners and finds him very attractive, Rob McElhenney. <laughs> not Ryan Reynolds. She is into Rob McElhenney. But I was watching the documentary just on the TV and I think I was like three episodes in and she kind of came in the room not really knowing what was going on. And they just started watching it and she fell in love with it because it's, it is about football, obviously, but the way that they told it, it was fascinating. So much stuff to do with the fans and talking about community and all of that kind of side of it. It was just really enjoyable. And But then there was that sprinkling of like Hollywood excellence to it. Like there's the episode where it's almost like a chat show and it was funny as well. And we ended up just like rewatching it all because it was just that good a show. Um, they did a great job with it, I thought. Like as a Wrexham fan, obviously this whole thing has been surreal. But did you enjoy the documentary as well? Like we were like, this is great. Yeah, I mean, bizarrely, I, ever since I watched it once all the way through, I've not watched it since. But with the second season's about to drop next week, I'm probably going to rewatch it just to sort of you know, like you do, natural mm-hmm. to do that, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, I think I think we had a general idea what was going to be included and there's a couple of little things I wasn't a massive fan of the of the Wales episode I can see why they did it and you know they want to push the sort of Welsh identity and, and it 
did loads of tourism, which some sometimes it come across a little bit patronising. But I can understand mm-hmm. why it was done that way when you think it, what what primary audience is geared for, sort of stateside and stuff. Um, so on the whole, I think you know they they ninety percent they pretty much nailed it with how it was how it was told. Um, we were fortunate to to lend our voices to to a couple of episodes. We had a couple of voiceover bits in it. I managed to get my uh, my deranged mug on it for about three <laughs> seconds when we beat Chesterfield wearing a very bright yellow hat. Um, but it's mad because I'll I'll go through it and when I rewatch it, I'll be like, oh yeah, I know that person. Oh, it's Thingy. Oh, it's that. And it'll be the same with this one. It'll be the same with the second series. We know there's there's certain. Don't want to use the word characters because it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like like it's uh, fiction. But there's 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 people in there, personalities was the word I'm looking for, where they're going right. We're going to concentrate on on this person or that person, and and every one of them has got a story to tell, and that's what adds to the whole purpose of document documentaries about the people that drive the area, that drive the football club, that. It's always been the jewel in the crown around here. It's just, it literally has been like that classic sleeping giant for so long where it used to be great back in the 70s. And it used to be in European competition all the time through the Welsh Cup. And then it just went south. You know, it's over. And it was literally, like you said earlier on, it was more a case of being known for beating Arsenal and having some sort of cup, sort of mm. you know, little, little, little sort of dalliances in the cup. Great. Um, and then literally two promotions prior to the last one ever since, you know. So quite mad symmetry in 1993, then 2002, 2003, then 22, 23. So I just hope it's not another 20 years for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> you like to think it wouldn't be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was told really, really well. Um, I think they did a really good job on it. And like you said, when you got when you got people that are that affable and likeable and funny, you you struggle to not like them. Because I've tried to put myself in, like, right, imagine if I was a really hardcore Chester fan, of which there aren't many, by the way. Um, <laughs> how would I feel about it? And I'm, I've no doubt some of those guys will be absolutely fuming, but they'll probably sit there and go, I hate these, I hate this football club, I hate them. But their owners are exactly what we would have at our club. So what you've just said yourself, you know, it's... And it's a weird thing. It's, it's weird that it's taken a Canadian and Americans to come over and show a lot of other owners how it should be done in a proper manner, in a proper manner, and almost kind of like say to the FA, you don't need a fit and, fit and proper person's test anymore because there's people like us here, and this is how it should be done. If you go about doing it in the right manner, show some humility, honesty, and and it, integrity, then you kind of won't go too far wrong, you know, for the for the most part. And even now, if they, if they walked away tomorrow, legends you know they've been made you know free they've got the freedom of the town already um and why not they deserve it but also one thing that they also did which is more relevant to our podcast and what we talk about is they boosted your kit sales quite quite significantly didn't they um obviously uh, adam who for any with some of the video might come out on this is is dressed for the occasion he's wearing uh, a Wrexham shirt and he's got one hanging behind him um yeah it, it it must be mad to see your shirts selling like like hotcakes and anyone and everyone wearing them in every corner of the world it's just weird like it's it's so odd I mean you know I'm on it because I'm a shirt snob as well as a shirt connoisseur you know just 
and when I mean I know full well I, I, don't, I couldn't figure out who it was but Humphrey Carr is the executive director stroke comedian um, at the club he came to a, a sort of a local fans event maybe you want to say year before last I can't remember now the last time he came to it and he kind of said to us oh, prior to TikTok like the, the the several sponsors that were getting bandied about I think somebody said that there was a there was a very uh, well known pizza brand, and even in my head now, I can't even imagine us having um, Domino's or Papa John's, or wherever it might be, emblazoned <laughs> across. And and it does it, it does give you a, little, a minor sense of arrogance when you see you know United Airlines in the current current kit sponsor, but then having TikTok. Um, and and the buy-in that I had, not not just because of how big of a name it was, you know, slightly, you know, murky practices aside, um, a lot of kids could identify with that. It wasn't just kids that were identifying with something that was now associated with success at the football club, but they were associating with something that they recognised as a you know a social media platform with a certain demographic. So honestly, within, within a blink of an eye, like almost like overnight. I've gone from seeing kids wearing Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Arsenal shirts to literally, it's like it's like everybody woke up one morning at Christmas with a Wrexham shirt. It's just it's crazy. I can't even I can't even tell you like how big of a thing that is to see everybody kitted out in them. It's just weird as anything. And first season, I went to went to ten. I went to Lanzarote. Went to Lanzarote and um, just wandered around the pool, and I could hear like a family. And this kid was like, he's got a TikTok shirt on. Like, even that's like, you might not know what the football club is straight away, but it's a TikTok shirt. And anybody who tells you what, what's that TikTok football shirt will probably go, oh, that was the Wrexham thing. So that boosted the sales numbers stupendously. It kind of couldn't cope with the demand. Um, but I think, I can't remember what the, the final unit numbers were, but they said that it was, it was comparable, if not more, than what your sort of upper end championship club would, would sell. In and around that sort of figure, um, you know, not quite got the distribution right yet in terms of making more money out of it. I mean, the, the preseason US tour, they should have had Macron stall set up selling the shirts, should have been there, or they should have looked at uh, getting a tie with a, a, a UK, you know, sporting retailer, things like Dick's Sporting Goods, quite a big deal over there, something like that, where you can sell those shirts because. You know, there's been there's been some shysters over here who've went gone to the football club, bought several shirts, whacked them on eBay, and let our poor American friends pay four times the amount of the, the retail price. It's just nuts. You know, one thing I always say is, you're not purposely rip off a fellow fan, doesn't matter how new or old they are. I think a lot of people listening to this can relate to that because unfortunately, in the football shirt community, that sort of thing happens an awful lot with people buying things up cheap and then trying to basically triple quadruple sometimes the, the the markup that people are putting on just to sell to another collector is ridiculous but i mean with regards to the price of the shirts i mean adam's probably better qualified to to talk about that because i know obviously you've got the one on now and you had you had a, a bit of a look at the prices they were going for didn't you yeah i was very lucky so for the purpose of the podcast i'm wearing the teal away shirt from a couple of seasons ago um the reason why i bought it was like you said tim big fan of it's always sunny in philadelphia and this particular shirt has It's Always Sunny on the back of it. And it's in the colour of the Philadelphia Eagles as well. So that's why I bought it. I got it for like £10.50 on eBay before the documentary came out. After the documentary, 
you're looking at like between like 150, 200 pounds for it. And they were selling. It wasn't like people were listing it. They were going up and people were bidding. And this particular shirt was being sold for that amount of money. And it's just remarkable that, I mean, in some ways, it's amazing for Wrexham fans to be like, wow, our team is that popular that people want our shirts that much. But then it is also taking it out of the fans or taking it out of the hands of fans. I mean, I'm not a Wrexham fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. But I collect shirts that I feel have a story, which is why I have this one, because there is a story behind it. I don't feel like I stole it from someone because I bought it on eBay. It was biddable and I got it for £10 when people, you know, weren't bidding on it that much. Some of the prices are just remarkable. So like I said, in some ways it's good that Wrexham are popular, but that must grate a little bit that you probably know that there are fans out there, especially with the distribution issues, that couldn't get well, hold of a shirt. And then you've seen it on, and someone has clearly bought it from the club shop. For, I think they retail about 40 quid or around that price on the club shop. Yeah, so then now. go on eBay. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely, they've definitely gone up in price. Um, yeah, I remember a time not so long ago that, you know, I think we probably got it here where you would get your eBay settings and any time there was a new Wrexham shirt listed, you get the email. You know, there's been seven new shirts. Well, I now get emails from eBay saying there are 58 new Wrexham shirts. <laughs> don't need to know. And that behalf of some of those now are, are knockoffs, the DH gate knocking off like rogue Wrexham. And somebody's posted a... a a shirt from Turkey. Uh, they're, they're doing rogue Wrexham shirt that, that don't even look like any of the current kits. It's just literally, all right, we'll stick a half, half sort of decent Wrexham badge on it. We'll stick a big dodgy Chinese Welsh sort of dragon ensemble on top of it and hope it sells. It's horrendous. But you know what? If I was in Turkey, I'd probably buy it just as a memento because <laughs> why not? I'm not going to get it over here. Wrexham had some incredible shirts before all of this happened. So as a Wrexham fan, what are the sort of like cult favourites and they're like the sponsors? So I know you've had like Wrexham Lager. That's amazing to have such a local sponsor on your shirt and so on. So are there any sort of like particular favourites within the fan base and then your favourites? Well, I feel like I've got to go and, uh, go and get them to show you. Uh, so yeah, I've got lots. Um, I sold lots, annoyingly. Sold an awful lot, which I regret doing, which was a bugger. But anyway, um, cult favourites. So... Back in the day, in the 70s, we had um, some wonderful Adidas kits. That's 77, 78, got promoted that season. Really nice kit. So that's always always a cult classic. We brought the Adidas back in, what year was it? 2000 and, 2011, 2012, I think, but with their local sponsor, so Glindo University. Yeah, a bit of a stock kit, but kind of nice nevertheless. I was personally involved in getting Wrexham involved in that Adidas kit, believe it or not, a deal. I was, I was doing... Press stuff at the club at the time. So I was doing like Twitter and match reports and all that sort of stuff. And the chief exec said to me, what sort of kits do you reckon? Because he knew I was into my kits. He said, um, what sort of kits do you think we should go for next season? I was like, well, what have you got? He showed me a Nike sample. The Nike one was burgundy for a start. I was like, no, don't do that because it's not red. It's burgundy. It's not our colour. So get rid of that one. And it was the one where there was like a massive half-coloured sleeve. Remember Everton had it ages ago? It was a Nike kit. And like half it was blue and the rest of it was white. It just looked mm-hmm. out of place. It was, it was the same stock kit as that. So I said, why didn't you try Adidas? And he didn't really know how to go about it, but he was he was chief exec of the football club at the time. He had obviously contacts elsewhere. 
I can't remember the name of the, what I say, well, it wasn't Forest Green because that's Dale Vince. I can't remember who it was now. Um, there was a there was a chairman at one football club. His son worked for Adidas. Um, and Adidas headquarters, bizarrely in the UK, is in a weird headquarters on the outskirts of Stockport within a housing estate. It's a very odd setup. And they, they've got Adidas, Reebok and Rockport still exist, apparently, all under one roof. So we went there a couple of hours before Wrexham played Fleetwood in that season where we had 98 points and didn't go up and Fleetwood with Jamie Vardy did with 103 points. So we went to speak to them, hashed out a few ideas, said, oh, yeah, we can sort you this deal out. And that's where, that's where that shirt came from. And so that's that was that, basically. So my, my, my sort of minimal input was like, definitely go with Adidas, you'll sell loads. And luckily we did. So there's the mini story behind that. One of my personal favourites, Match Worn, um, Elliot Dorrell. Um, this spanky one is from 2014. Um, it's when we played Stoke away in the FA Cup. It was made for that particular encounter. We were winning with about 15 minutes to go. And then Mark Hughes, who was in charge of Stoke that day, brought on Peter Crouch and them sort of players to turn the game into their favour. That bastard um, Peter Crouch, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Island, a few others. Uh, one of my favourites again is this kind of Dennis. Oh, Domenic. I Very love, cool. I love that. What that's 2014, 15 sort of time that one in yeah. is, is that right? I, yeah. I, I was, I, I had a little look through sort of like, um, I don't know if you've ever used it. There's a website called OldFootballShirts.com, which just kind of tracks yeah. the history of of different uh, clubs, and that was a particular one that I noticed because it stands out quite a lot from a lot of other Wrexham shirts. Obviously, being black and or, uh, black and red black kind and of red, yeah. hoops, if it you is, like, yeah, some of the earlier colours in the club's history on record. And it was part of, you can see the badges, it was a special gold-laden badge, 150th, 150 years. Um, love that kit, love the way it felt. It's just dead nice, really high-end quality kit. So that was a good one. In terms of other cult favourites, um, my first ever shirt, 92, 93, classic Wrexham Lager. That's oh, the one yeah. I remember, the one with Wrexham yeah. Lager in gold. Yeah, Absolutely. My, my original Beautiful. kit, which still has, still has uh, plaster, on the inside of the logo because it itched like a bitch. It was either a plaster or you were going to lose a nipple at some point, wouldn't it? Pretty so... much, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was kind of runner's wrath before I even knew it existed. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep one of the best for last, my, my personal favourite in a minute. I've got obviously all, all the sort of TikTok kind of ones are there. That also is 92, 93, um, as worn by... Andy Marriott, who played for Nottingham Forest, we signed him for 200 grand, which was a lot of money at the time. Um, so, yeah, or was it 93, 94? It was 93, 94, actually. Yeah, it was, it was the season after, because um, he wasn't involved then, but it was the season after. For our listeners, this this is a, a, a goalkeeper shirt that, as Adam said, is ludicrously 90s in its design and colourway, and well, it is, it's beautiful. I can tell you the story behind this. Um, not a problem at all. The story goes that Basically, this all came about from Bruce Grobler, who was um, Zimbabwe's goalkeeper at the time. And ENS, NK Sports from Manchester, who made these kits, sponsored the Zimbabwe national team. And Bruce Grobler said he wanted a goalkeeping kit, which was going to be so loud and obnoxious that it would confuse or knock attackers off their stride when they attack the ball. So they would just be faced with a blur of colour coming from nowhere. And we all know Grobler was a little bit madcap anyway. So essentially, this was based um, very, very similarly to the Zimbabwe Zimbabwe goalkeeper shirt 
that Bruce Grobler's wearing. If you ever, if you type in Grobler Zimbabwe, you'll see it. Um, it's pretty much identical, give or take some of the splashes of colour. But yeah, it just you know for for descriptive purposes, it just looks like um, a child has come along um, <laughs> with paintbrushes and just said like just just catapult paint at the canvas, and that is what you get. It's just brush strokes of pink, yellow, black, teal, everything. And it's great for the winter, and it's got elbow pads on it. What more do you want? Brilliant. <laughs> I'm a big fan of elbow pads. I, lo- I love a proper goalkeeper shirt with elbow pads on. So many, so many great shirts. I mean, you know, this blue one as well. Welsh Cup win is 95 on it. That was that was basically Wrexham Lager sky blue, which um, was modelled on the same colour as the Wrexham Lager cans at the time, which have been brought back from the dead. But yeah, complete with football league badges on the sleeves. So. <laughs> One of the questions we always ask everybody that comes on the pod is a bit of a fantasy question. So if you if you could have any player that's ever played for Wrexham to wear any shirt that Wrexham have ever had, what what would your dream combo be? It's a tough one, but you know what? It is a tough one because there's probably two. And this kind of gives you the... the um, the kind of uh, the realization of how much impact the current squad has had on everybody in terms of what they've brought to the table, um, that they're not just here for a, a paycheck, they're here to kind of enhance their own persona, I guess. You know, most people know who Paul Mullen is now for the most part, whether it's documentary or not. And if the documentary wasn't there and you were just a bit of a football geek, you'd be like, okay, who's this bloke that's knocking in goals again? Fun. Well, it's like I said to you earlier about watching the documentary with my wife. My wife knows exactly who Paul Mullen is, and that's remarkable, isn't it? It's bonkers, and and people will know soon enough who Elliot Lee is because he's a ridiculously good player and, again, very affable, very charming, um, has a specific look. You know, he's got the, he's just got a really nice beard, shaved head, but not in a thuggish way. It's obviously Rob Lee's son. Um, yeah, obviously, probably <laughs> some. So there's that football kind of heritage already there, um, and you know, I think people will, will realise who he is soon enough when the, when the second season drops. But in answer to your question, I mean, foolishly, I decided to get a half half Paul Mullin uh, Deadpool tattoo on my arm, which you can probably just about make. That out is of. incredible. <laughs> that, there's a lot. That... There's a lot going on. I don't know what I keep. I'm so like obnoxious there. I can't even put my, spin my camera. There you go. So basically, um, long story short, I got this tattoo because I thought, why not? So I got the formation date, the club, with one of the dragons from the badge, with a smiley face to represent it's always sunny in Philadelphia, with half a Deadpool for obvious reasons, and half a Paul Mullin, and um, with a, an extra eye above his normal eye. That was just a quirk of the tattooist with a gangster-style triple-one tattooed on his face, but obviously that represents the amount of points we scored last year. So I can't imagine there's many people walking around with this tattoo on their arm. So. I'd be willing to bet there's nobody else. That is, that's incredible. That that that's, yeah. That is easily one of my favourite football tattoos. I'm, I'm into tattoos myself, but that is easily one of the best football tattoos I've ever seen. It's, it's incredible. Everyone's like, why didn't you just get the badge? Because everybody else has got it. Why do I want to get the yeah. same thing as everybody else? <laughs> 
Um, well, sorry, that's the thing. Like so many people are wearing like Wrexham shirts now, you've got to do something else to stand out, I guess. Well, I've hardly worn new ones because I'm like, well, I've got to, I've got to show everybody I've been a, a fan for yeah. X amount of years by wearing my retro ones, and then somebody somewhere will go, "Is that an original?" Then yes, it's even got the tip <laughs> paper put on when I was twelve years old or whatever. So, but in answer to your question, it would probably be Mullin. No, it will be Mullin in the '92, '93 Wrexham Lager shirt, which I showed you earlier, because I think that was. That's the shirt where we got promoted, first promotion I experienced, and it was a year before he was born. So there we are. It's kind of close enough. Nice, nice bit of symmetry. I think he'd look good with that. And I know, I know an artist who would probably make that come to life for me. So that might be a potential front cover for one of the next issues of the fanzine, potentially. Wow. Well, I hope we get to see that. I really do. Well, look. <laughs> We, we've kept you here for quite a while. You've been kind enough to show us all your collection. And, and yeah, it, it's been great chatting to you about uh, and getting, from our point of view, an actual fan's insight into everything that's been going on. Because, obviously, as you say, there are a lot of people who, who, who might tweet a lot about Wrexham and stuff. But, like you say, you've been there for the long haul. So, thank you so much for for coming on and talking to us. It's been it's been a lot of fun. No, you're welcome. Thanks for, for, for letting me come on and you know, delve into the shirts because for some people it's like, oh, it's just a shirt, but, you know, they're just great, aren't they? They're moments in time. Like, I'll pull out that shirt and go, promotion season, or I'll pull out that shirt and go, that was Stoke away, or I'll pull out that shirt and go, oh, look at this goalkeeper shirt. It's got, (laughs) they've all got stories and invariably we've got stories attached to them as well. You know, you you can probably tell, you'll pull on a shirt and go, I know exactly which game this reminds me of. You know, or, or not even that, you know, this I, I know where I was speaking with some friends who are no longer with us whilst wearing this shirt. It's just more than just a colour and a badge. It, it goes a lot more deeper than that. So Even as shirt nerds ourselves, we couldn't have put that better ourselves. So just before we sign off, do you want to let everybody know where they can find you on socials? Yeah, uh, if you go to fearless.wales, that's, that's where you can get the fanzine and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of uh, Spotify and where you stream it, it's just fearless and devotion. Um, and then Twitter, Fearless ID Zine, so I-D-Z-I-N-E, and it, that's the same for Instagram, TikTok, Fearless and Devotion on Facebook. We'll look forward to the next season of Documentary, and maybe we'll get to see your face on there again, you never know. So do you know what? I actually really, really enjoyed that, despite the fact I've been complaining about how much press Wrexham have had. But, it, you know, it is a fantastic story and a, and a novel story in, in the football world as well. It's kind of like a mash of cultures. But do you know what I loved, aside from all that, was just how much of a passionate kit collector he was. I mean, he's got tons and he was so knowledgeable and, and passionate about them. Yeah, we were really lucky, actually, because we got to see all of the shirts he was talking about, because obviously we did this over Zoom. And hopefully it's still a good listen on the pod, but actually seeing his face when he was picking up shirts, because he was picking up some really, there there was an amazing goalkeeper shirt he showed us, which had a really vibrant pattern on it. But then there were just like, in the nicest possible way, fairly generic template shirts. But because they meant something to him and they had like an affinity with the match they were worn in, the joy on his face showing us through his collection was genuinely a joy for us to behold, to be honest. And another thing that's really cool about his collection is that those kind of shirts you will never be able to find ever again. So the fact that he has them that far back is incredible. 
Yeah, that I, I agree 100%. And even even some of the shirts that weren't particularly old, I mean, before the the Hollywood invasion, if you like, uh, at Wrexham, I don't know what their shirt sales were like. I can't imagine them being, you know, the, the biggest shirt selling club in the world. So some of those kind of fairly sort of like innocuous shirts from just 10 years ago that not a lot of people probably bought some of the aways and third shirts and so on that he's managed to pick up it. I think it becomes an, an absolutely invaluable collection that he's got. It's, it was amazing. Like, just like Adam said, it was so nice to talk to somebody that not is only so passionate about their own club, but shares the, the love and the hobby that we do, which is, which is the, the material side of things. And he, he was just into it so much. It was brilliant. And can you imagine what that collection is going to be? Let's say the Hollywood project works. And they one day end up in a Premier League, and he has all. I mean, that not that that's what it's about, but they will be priceless at that point if they if the the the, the Ryan brothers pull that off. Well, I mean, if you need a house deposit, you know, forget Gordon Ramsay trying to sell your Porsche. Just sell your Wrexham <laughs> collection, and you'll get even more than the twenty grand that you need. That story, that story is now relatable to us. <laughs> Everyone's going to go and just buy the Wrexham shirts now, no matter what. But no, it was it was really good to speak to Tim. Um, hope Wrexham carry on doing well for the rest of the season for his sake. And yeah, his spirit collection continues to grow in both size and value. Can we sidestep from football shirts just for one interesting topic? Oh no, where are we going with this? No, I'd just be curious as to, because I believe... We're all relatively neutral, apart from me on this topic. But so Messi winning his eighth Ballon d'Or, there's been some really, really interesting split opinions through the professional world, as in current players, and their opinions on him winning his eighth. Now, I have an opinion on it, but being that I am a, I wouldn't say I'm a Ronaldo fan, but if I was to favour one, the Ballon d'Or winning Man United player would probably be where I would go. But I'm just genuinely curious to what you guys think, because it has been such a mixed, mixed bag. You know, there's a lot of people that say it's an absolute crock of shit. And yet there are other people that are completely on board and think that it was deserved. I'm just curious. I do think Messi is possibly the greatest footballer of all time. I would certainly pick him over Ronaldo, but... I think Haaland deserved to win the Ballon d'Or because 52 goals and a treble winning season. You cannot really do much more than that. And I think I said it before on this podcast when we spoke about the World Cup, but I don't think Messi had a stellar tournament. I know he scored a lot of goals, but most of them were penalties. And we're looking at an award that was given to him through sentiment, I think. But he deserves that sentiment because he's the best of all time. But we're talking about who had the best season, I think. Haaland was undoubtedly the best player in the world this year. Yeah, um, seeing as I think that the, the problem is the, the World Cup win did an awful lot towards it. It's it's difficult to argue with it from the point of view that it's messy. He's brilliant at everything that he does and he won the World Cup. However, if you're taking it on sort of like more personal merit as well as trophies and stuff picked up, I gotta say, I, I would have been in the Haaland camp. I think it should. I'm probably Ollie Watkins, to be honest with you, for what he done for Villa. <laughs> but hey, look, no, it's not what we're talking, right? Um, but yeah, no, I, it, I think it should have been Haaland. In in truth, like you say, I think it's a little bit. It's a sentiment. It's a parting gift. Everybody knows that 
he's nearing the end now. He's not going to win it again, no matter what anybody might say or think. And then players like Haaland um, and Ollie Watkins have got it for for many years to come. So Yeah, I think it's that tricky thing of exactly what is the kind of criteria behind it. And obviously the best player in the world, as much as I hate to say it, last season with his goal scoring record was Erling Haaland. But I don't know. That World Cup was ridiculous and that final was ridiculous. And seeing who I consider personally to be the greatest of all time, the absolute greatest of all time, win a World Cup in the manner that it happened. I can see why he did win it and I'm not begrudging it for him, even though really you should do because it's been eight times. Let someone else have a go. Scott, come on. I know you're bursting to to reply. No, so my, yeah, so my, I I, I agree with the, with, um, all of you, actually. But the place where I think the argument breaks down about the World Cup is, and my question to you three is, who was Argentina's most important player at the World Cup? Because for me, it wasn't Messi. Oh, it was, uh, it was Emi Martinez. Yeah. No, no it was so McAllister. Fa- oh, fuck off, Baldy. <laughs> Come over that shit. I, I, I actually <laughs> think it was Enzo Fernandez, but there you go. <laughs> but oh, it's way. amazing who we've all picked there, isn't it? <laughs> We can all agree it wasn't Lautaro Martinez. So yes. So he's been given a Ballon d'Or. Bear in mind, he was fucking woeful for Paris, and they did they were rubbish in the Champions League, including him actually missing a penalty to get knocked out against Real Madrid. And then he's been given a, which is definitely a nostalgia vote, which is which is great. Okay, whoop de doo. Messi's the best player in the world. He's got another Ballon d'Or. But for me, I think it diminishes what should be a really, really good award because the fact that a bunch of whoever the professionals or writers or whoever there are, the fact that they've just voted for somebody because it's a fairy tale, I think it really takes away from the from the actual award because it, it just goes to show that it doesn't go to the best player in the world. It goes to, I think Zlatan put it very well, is that it, it goes to the player with the best PR team. And I think they've made a huge mistake because... As much as I hate to admit it, I think Ronaldo is the greatest goal scorer that has ever lived. But he is not the greatest player because that is clearly Lionel Messi. But for me, I think giving him the eight has retracted from the seven because it's such a bullshit award that it that it's not there. There's no achievement there. Everybody loved that he won the World Cup. I mean, the, Argentina's second most important player was all the referees because FIFA wanted him to win the World Cup as well. But I, I think they've made a really big mistake. I honestly, I genuinely think they've... I mean, even Harry Kane, <laughs> Harry Kane was quoted to saying that it's completely taken the shine off the Ballon d'Or for him because it just proves that it's that it's not who's the best player in the world. It, it is opinions that, and they're not doing it correctly. To, to be fair, this isn't the first time it's been a popularity contest though, has it? And... I, I totally agree with you. I, I get your point, but we have also seen it before where players who have been the best players or should have probably won it, like Lewandowski, haven't won it. And then again, like I really like Luka Modric. I think he's a great player. Was he the best player in the world in 2018? I don't I don't think he was personally, but he still won it because there was like this groundswell of opinion that it should be him. And then suddenly that built momentum. And I think that is what's happened this time. It's a tricky one because I think objectively they don't base it just on purely who is the best player that season all the time and it's just maybe they should do and and if they do do that then you're right like Messi wasn't the best player for this for this year so 
you've you've, you've swung me round there, to be honest, Scott. And the and the thing is, and you're right. Look at look at poor Robert Lewandowski. So the I mean, Haaland is a great player, but there's nothing to say that that he might never reach that that level again to be anywhere. So the so the year that he should have won it, they've nostalgically given it to Messi. Well, he might never ever be in that bracket again. Because there are look at Henri, you know Henri had that absolutely incredible season. They gave it to Nedved, and then he was never close ever again. So I think that you know they they need to be careful because they're they're taking things away from professionals that they might never ever get that chance to win again. Virgil van Dijk, twenty nineteen, same thing. Mustafa Salafa, twenty ten. He didn't even play in twenty ten. It's such a difficult one because the problem is they'll always just go back to the fact that he won a World Cup, and that there's your your justification and the the short fact of it is is regardless of how well Messi performed for Messi at that World Cup Argentina wouldn't have won that would not have won that World Cup without Messi so th- there's almost a bit of validation in it i mean the biggest surprise of that conversation is that harry kane can pronounce ballon d'or really enjoyed that this week gents um what have we got coming up we've still got that ghana black star special to go out at some point but also we need to get started on the top 20 of 2023. So anybody that's been listening to us or following our socials for a little while now will know that sort of like to the wards, the end of last year, beginning of this year, we started the poll to decide to let everybody else decide what was the, the best shirts of 2022. So we're obviously going to follow that through and do exactly the same for this year. So Keeping on the socials, because I think what we're going to do is pretty much do exactly the same as we did last year. We're just going to put the email address out there. We're going to ask everybody for their top five shirts, and then we're going to rank them into a top 20. And we're going to do a nice, big, long feature episode all about it. So, guys, you need to get thinking about yours as well. Top stuff. Look forward to to that episode. It's always a, a fun one to try and work our way through. So from this pod's Ryan Reynolds and Mike there, the, the pod's Rob McElhenney, we're going to leave it with the pod's Danny DeVito to sign us off. <laughs> Nobody's taking that, are they? <laughs> Scott, Scott and Adam both looking and going, who the fuck are you calling Danny I was, DeVito? <laughs> I was waiting for someone to go in. Clearly the Charlie Day character. So, I See, I don't know who that is, but I'm guessing it's the one I've seen that you look like actually then. Yeah, it's actually that one, yes. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. So that so... does leave, well, you're either Sweet D or Danny DeVito, so... um. It's up to you, Scott, who you want to I've be. I've heard a lot of people call Scott Sweet D. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the programme, so none of this means anything to me. That makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's all over. It, it is, is now. now.